0: We're in this series called Blind Spots. Uh, We looked last week at how the truth about you is you don't really know the full truth about you, that the general level of human self-awareness is incredibly low. And part of the problem is we hear that and we say, yeah, I know that's true. I know some people who are amazingly non-self-aware. You see, no one thinks a lack of self-awareness is their problem. If they did, they would be self-aware. Which brings us to a great question. Who's going to help you see your blind spots? Who's going to tell you the truth about you? This brings us to a great story in the gospel of Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 17. Now, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem on the way. He took the 12 aside and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified on the third day he will be raised to life then the mother of zebedee's sons came to jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him what is it you want he asked she said grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom now this is an amazing moment uh, Jesus tells his disciples he's on his way to die. Matthew says, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came. In other words, immediately after Jesus says he has to be betrayed, condemned, mocked, flogged, and crucified, she says, before that happens, can I get in a quick favor? Jesus, would you do me a solid you know my boys here, Jimmy and Johnny, before you're humiliated and martyred in the ultimate act of self-emptying, sac- sacrificial love. Could I get my boys a promotion? Like, could I get them an upgrade? I know you have 12 disciples and all, but could you make sure my boys are disciple number one and disciple number two? Now, this is repeated in the gospels like numerous times. Jesus talks about this need to uh, humble himself to suffer and then the disciples respond by arguing about who's the greatest. This happens actually three times in the Gospel of Matthew and three times in the Gospel of Mark. Here mom is talking to Jesus and the boys are standing right there. You notice the collusion of this little group and we'll talk more about collusion in groups in a moment. The boys don't have to ask Jesus themselves because mom is going to do that for them. They could just stand there and look sheepish and, and modest as if, of course, they wish this wasn't happening, but they just want to make sure mom is happy. Mom can convince herself this is purely an act of altruism, of motherly love. She's not asking anything for herself, she's selflessly seeking the well being of her sons. Like, she has a bumper sticker. She's just waiting to put on her car. My sons are honored students at Jesus's discipleship school. You know, in the ancient world, parents would sometimes gratify their own egos through the accomplishments of their children. Isn't that a weird culture? I mean, can you even imagine a world in which parents would try to do that kind of thing? Uh, Mrs. Zebedee here is one of the first helicopter parents like swooping in to make sure her boys outshine other boys. Just a word about this. It's possible to be a parent and to be sucking the life out of your kids by gaining status through their achievements and to deceive yourself to make yourself think it's just about love and wanting them to do well. You can design a family system where the kids feel this pressure, where the kids bear this weight. But the reality that all parents have egos and that a parent's ego can get fed by their kids' achievements never gets named. It never gets acknowledged. And the kids are actually taught self-deception. That's what's going on here. It's so interesting. It's so human. She kneels before Jesus Like this is a posture of humility and surrender. In other words, it's possible to deceive yourself so that in an act of incredible entitlement and arrogance and grandiosity that everyone else could recognize you actually think you're being, uh, humble or you're coming across as humble. Like that's, what's going on here now. Just as an exercise in imagination, imagine for a moment that Mrs. Zebedee is in a small group at her church. She goes to her group later that week and they ask her, What did you do this week, Mrs. Z? Well, I went down to where Jesus was teaching. He was saying something about going to Jerusalem, and I didn't pay much attention to that because I had a lot on my mind. I actually got down on my knees and asked him, If my sons could sit on his right and his left, if they could be disciple number one and disciple number two. How do you think the other members of the small group at her church responded? I'll tell you how they responded. They said things like this. Mrs. Z, uh, you didn't ask for anything for yourself? Nope, just my boys. I mean, you are a great mom. I hope your boys realize how lucky they are. Uh, Did Jesus say yes to you? I mean, he must have said yes to you, right? Jesus had to love a mother who loves her boys like that. And we'll pray you get exactly what you've asked for. Now, inside, other people in the group are thinking, who does she think she is trying to elevate her children like that? Or they're thinking, I wish I would have thought of that first. But no one in the group says those things out loud. You know, churches sometimes call small groups growth groups. But if we Uh, collude with each other, if we connive with each other to help each other uh, fail to understand the truth about ourselves, they actually can turn into growth prevention groups. I mean, we can keep each other from growing. So there's this amazing story. Mrs. Z gets down on her knees in her heart She's all worked up about what a humble thing she's doing, how she's humbling herself by kneeling to worship. Uh, She makes the ask, can my boys be number one and number two? Uh, They all look at Jesus. It's it's an amazing moment. Now, the main thing for you to know about Jesus is Jesus, who loved children, who uh, went looking for lost sheep, never liked hurting anyone's feelings. So in Good Jesus style, he says, well, you know, that's a noble request. I can't make any promises, but I hate to disappoint people. So I'll check with my father and see what I can do. That's what he said, right? (laughs) Not exactly. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. That phrase to them is significant. He's calling them on their collusion here. In the text, it's it's quite clear that Mrs. Z intends this to be a conversation only between Jesus and her. Uh, That maintains the pretext that she's in it only for the boys and the boys are there only for her sake. You know, little systems, little groups, little families go this way. A writer by the name of R.D. Lang said family systems that protect self-deception and brokenness always have three rules. Rule number one, don't. Just don't. In this case, don't betray the family by failing to achieve high status. Rule number 1A is this. Rule number 1 does not exist. Rule number 1B is do not discuss the existence or non-existence of rules 1, 1, 1A, or 1B. Because as long as they don't talk about it, it can't be going on. Jesus is always breaking these rules. He's always talking about it. Ironically, religion is associated with rules and Jesus with religion, but he gets in way more trouble for breaking rules than he does for making them. Here, he breaks the rules. He responds to them. In other words, the boys as well as the mom. Don't you boys hide behind your mom and don't you mom hide behind your boys. This gets to the core of what we're talking about today at the church i used to attend in chicago there's an expression for having the courage uh, to speak the truth in love in a difficult situation to another person Um, they talk about having the courage to tell the last 10 percent and the idea is that very often in human relationships especially often in churches where we suffer sometimes from terminal niceness We will address a difficult problem with another person, but when it comes to the most important, the most sensitive, most needed, most honest, but the hardest part of the truth, we shrink back. We say the easy 90%, but then instead of saying something like, you know, my observation could be wrong, but my observation is that you are talking way too much. Rather than saying that, we'll say something like, "Uh, I didn't think the meeting went all that well. Like, what did you think? We get, we get fuzzy or vague or indirect precisely when the truth is needed the most. We may tell ourselves that we're doing this because uh, it's out of love or to spare the other person's feelings, but the real reason is fear. I'm just afraid. I'm afraid you might not like me. I'm afraid you might get mad at me. I would rather not have to deal with the anxiety or the unpleasant emotions that go along with plunging into the chaos of the last 10%. I was having a tough conversation with my wife recently and she was pointing out some things about me that I have a hard time seeing. She was giving me the last 10%. Now, honestly, in that moment, even though I'm in the middle of a teaching series on blind spots, I realized I didn't wanna hear the truth about me because the truth about me is I need to change in ways that I don't wanna change. But the truth about me is, I will never know what the truth about me is if I don't have some people close to me who love me enough and have the courage to tell me the last 10%. This is the core to what it means to be the church. This is why Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, instead speaking the truth in love we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. You know, most of us have mirrors in our bathrooms uh, because when we wake up in the morning, we want to know the truth about what our physical appearance looks like. Well, in the same way, we need to have other people in our lives because other people are the most important mirror God will ever give you. And all the time, like you and I, are sending off little signals by how we listen, by our body language, by how we respond. We're saying like, am I open to the last 10% or am I close to it? And I'll guarantee you, if you are close to it, you will send that message to other people and they will stop telling you, they'll pull away. And then we will never ever know the truth about ourselves and we will never, in every respect, grow to become mature, the the mature body of Christ. Well, Jesus speaks the truth in love. Jesus tells the last 10%. And we want to be a last 10% church. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Now, Jesus is looking for any kind of glimmer of self-awareness in James and John here. So he starts by saying to them, you don't know. like <laughs> You don't know what you don't know. You don't know about the cup. The cup in the Bible is very often an image for human destiny, particularly as it relates to the judgment of God that's coming to earth because of sin. Uh, Jesus is going to have to take that on. And so he says to them, can you drink the cup? I'm about to drink. Now, before you respond, let me give you a little clue about the correct answer. Here are three really important words. You don't know. (laughs) Like, you don't know about the cup. You don't know about my fate. You don't know about the cost. You don't know yourself. You don't know what motivates you. You don't know what's in your heart. You don't know what you're capable of. You don't know what God is up to Like, you're generally clueless. You don't know. This is a big hint before you respond. You don't know. Now, can you drink the cup? Heck yes. Like, it's easy. Like, piece of cake, no problem. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. Like even here, there's this very humble, like self-limiting dynamic to Jesus. It's not for me to give. This place belongs to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. And so that's the scene with Jesus and Mrs. Z and her two boys. And we'll talk about what happened with the rest of the disciples in just a moment.
1: So have you ever spent time in a gym? Do I look like I've spent time in a gym? I don't answer that question. You know, even if you haven't spent time in a gym, you've most likely seen the inside of one on TV or in the movie. And gyms, they all look slightly different, but all gyms have this ominous free weight section. So picture it, right? Lots of dumbbells and weights are lined up, big muscly men are yelling and throwing things around, lots and lots of mirrors. And these sections of the gym are created so that you can not only lift weights, but you can also stare at yourself while you're while you're lifting, right? You can see and track your progress in each rep that you do of the weights, with the weights. And we know that gyms, you know, they more or less, say shut down during COVID and people took their favorite equipment into their homes. So we saw this pop-up of mirror video gym sets. They're actually kind of cool. Wall-mounted mirrors that turn on and turn into guided gym practices and weightlifting sessions. You know, and these pieces of technology are not only interesting, they also help you track your performance and form. And, and you know what, people were lifting, they were lifting in the gyms with the mirrors and they quickly found that what they were doing and how they were lifting weights wasn't exactly right. Right, The new mirrors gave them information that helped them, uh, helped them perfect their form and and therefore uh, perfect their efficiency. And the first mirror was merely, uh, was showing them a reflection of something. And the second mirror was reflecting and revealing who they were and what they could be doing better. And sometimes, Sometimes we need a mirror like that in our faith lives. See, we've been using these old mirrors. We see our lives, but because the mirrors don't reveal everything, we don't actually see our blind spots. Mrs. Z is living in this truth, right? She sees herself as a perfect mom, as a caring and loving community member, but her mirror is flawed. And because her mirror is flawed, she missteps. The great news for us is that Jesus offers us something new. He offers us that suite, that, that mirror that helps us work on our weightlifting form. His mirror offers, offers a true reflection of who we are, right? Blind spots and all. So let's rejoin Matt and see how Jesus and others reveal truth about blind spots.
0: All right. So what happened with the rest of the disciples? Well, the short answer is they find out about what Mrs. Z and her boys are asking Jesus. Uh, we don't know how. Wouldn't you love to know how they found out about it? Uh, If you're James and John, like probably you don't want them to know, right? Like probably you engineer a conversation with Jesus to make sure this stays a secret. Now, Jesus, like don't tell anyone about this, okay? But as a general rule, it's really hard to build authentic biblical community speaking the truth in love when we try to keep secrets, So however it happens, it leaks out. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Now, why were they mad? It's not because they're more noble or more pure. It's probably because they're thinking, like, why didn't we think of that first? You know, like now we're left out. If disciple number one and disciple number two are taken, all I can do is jockey for numbers like three through 11. Like, that's all that's left. They're probably mad because James and John are the two disciples who tried to pull this off. I want to say a word about this. The dynamics in that little community of disciples are really instructive and really important for us to know about. Like sometimes we can put Bible characters on a pedestal and not realize that we learn from them because they're like us. Jesus had 12 disciples. But three of them, Peter, James, and John, formed an inner circle. And the gospels are quite clear about this. Those three are the only ones Jesus uh, was with on the Mount of Transfiguration. They're the ones who see him radiant in glory in this amazing moment. Like those three are the only three who Jesus takes with him to the home of Jairus to perform one of his greatest miracles. Uh, They're the only three who would go to the garden of gethsemane accompanying him along the way he tells the rest of the disciples to stay behind in other words they see depths and vulnerability of jesus that the other disciples didn't see which is kind of curious right i was thinking about this this week why would jesus who is so adamant that all human beings are equally loved by god and matter the same to god deliberately create an inner circle that would leave some disciples feeling like they're on the outside look what happens when the others get mad jesus called them together and said you know that the rulers of the gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them not so with you instead whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus never allows a destructive hidden agenda to go unnamed and undiscussed. He never skips the last 10%. And so he calls all of his disciples together to talk about what's going on. A lot of Jesus's greatest and most uh, transformative teaching happened in these unplanned moments. When he calls them together, it's interesting to me that uh, what he doesn't say, he doesn't say, you know what guys, uh, I've been spending too much time with Peter, James and John. I can see where that would have uh, you know, look like maybe they're my favorites and maybe I hurt your feelings. I'm really sorry about that. From now on, I'll divide my time into 12 equal parts. You can co- all kind of keep score. You can all kind of keep track and make sure everyone gets the same amount of time with me. He doesn't do that. He became a real finite flesh and blood person. And of course, it was impossible for him to give equal time to every member of the human race. He doesn't even try. And so there are these different circles. There's actually 72 that he sends out in Luke. And there are the 12. And then there are the three inside of that. And people's feelings about that, you know, their their jealousy or envy or feeling left out or feeling inferior or feeling superior and puffed up will all be things that they need to die to if they're truly going to be formed spiritually. And Jesus will bring it into the light. Uh, He'll bring it out into the open time and time again and call everyone to name it and to die to it and to live in humble servanthood. I say this about the disciples because sometimes people think, you know, I I would experience richer, deeper, closer, more joy-filled community if I just had uh, healthier people in my relational world. And the problem with this is if all the people in your relational world were super healthy and wanted to restrict their relationships to other super super healthy people, what would happen to you? Like, if our church had a goal of, like, we want all of the unhealthy people to go away and only healthy people to remain, I mean, our church would be a lot smaller than it is right now. And so the question is, who have you asked to speak the truth to you in love? Like, where are you doing this? I want to say this. If you're in a small group or you lead a small group at Blue Oaks, we want that to be a growth group like not a growth prevention group and that will only happen if we actually learn to speak the truth and love if you're a small group leader you don't start to make that happen by telling other people in your small group the last 10 percent about them it happens when you say as the leader i'm open to that well this is going on with the disciples by the way james and john in this little inner circle Are no picnic for Jesus. Like people often think about Peter as this like rash, impulsive character. You know, if they think about John at all, if they, you know, if they know him, they think about him as kind of a mellow, beloved guy. It's not. It's not true. Jesus gives to Simon the nickname Peter, Petros, Rock. The only two other disciples he gives nickname to are James and John. We're told when he picked the disciples, there are James and John, sons of Zebedee to whom Jesus gave the nickname Sons of Thunder. Now, what kind of temperament or verbal style would they most likely have to have the nicknames Sons of Thunder? Uh, John is all about like, I wanna be number one. And it's not just in this story with his mom. Look at the sequence in Luke 9. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. They had this problem all the time. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is the least among you who is the greatest. Now, this is John's direct response. Master, John said, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not one of us. (laughs) so Jesus says I'm telling you the least is the greatest and then John's immediate response was you know Jesus speaking of the greatest some guys out there looking greater than us like we tried to make him stop like relieving people from their misery and oppression but he's not part of our little circle and we know you love our little circle more than you love any other little circle uh, but we couldn't stop him and so Uh, You have to make him stop so he doesn't look better than us. Jesus responds, no, like don't stop him. Whoever's not against us is for us. The circle is infinitely larger than you know. And then the very next verse, they're walking through a Samaritan village. The Samaritans were generally enemies with the Israelites. So this Samaritan village doesn't welcome them. And there's no surprise there. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? (laughs) Like, we're better than them, those Samaritans. Shall we destroy them? Jesus turns and he rebukes them. He doesn't send fire to the Samaritans. He rebukes James and John. How long do you think this unhealthy, destructive, competitive comparison You know got to be better than everyone else how long do you think that went on with john it's quite remarkable even after jesus is crucified john chapter 20. so peter and the other disciple john started for the tomb both were running but the other disciple outran peter and reached the tomb first like even on easter morning they're having a race there's this competition between peter and john who's the fastest disciple And it's John. By the way, this is only noted in the Gospel of John. Uh, Who wrote the Gospel of John? (laughs) Like I picture them getting to the tomb and John is like, hey, I won. And Peter's like, yeah, but I got inside first. And that's where the angel was saying, Christ is risen. You know, he is risen indeed. And John says, I know, I know, but I still won. I won, I was here first. And then the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and the church is born. And that's when Jesus, what Jesus taught them, starts to transform their lives. And they begin to suffer. One day, King Herod had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And I wonder when that moment came, if James remembered that day when he knelt down before Jesus with his mom and asked to be first, because he got to be the first at something. Like he was the first to give up his life for Jesus. John is the last. John ends up an old man living in exile on an island called Patmos. Uh, if you read his letters, first John, second, John, third, John, they're all like all about love. All he can talk about is love. You see, the truth about you is you will never know the truth about you unless you invite some brothers and sisters to tell you the truth about you. And if you never know the truth about you, The truth is you will never grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. We all need that. Like, I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've been around the church. I don't care how spiritually mature you are. You need that. So just to get real concrete. How do you do at telling other people the last 10% when it needs to get told? If you wait until you can do it perfectly, guess how long you'll wait? you'll wait forever. You have to start by doing it imperfectly. You know, sometimes I'll start like this. Uh, This is real important and I might say it wrong. I might not, it might not come out the way that I want it to. So let me just say this the best I can. And if it comes out wrong, I'll have to try it again. But it's really important that I tell you what I have to tell you right now. Uh, We have to work at telling the last 10%. And for most of us, It's going to take courage and a willingness to do it wrong and get better at it. And we do this because we love. Another question. How do you do at receiving the last 10%? And I'll give you a few wrong ways to do this. And this is from experience. Some people, when they're told the last 10%, they just get mad, uh, get defensive and stubborn or fired up. Or they just have this like, hard protective shell you know the message of that says don't tell me some people just crumble i mean they just respond like oh i'm so awful you know it's terrible you can never love me no one could ever love me jesus could never love someone as bad as me which is really a a kind of just a subtle sneaky manipulative way to try to make you feel guilty for telling the last 10 percent, so that you never do it again some people give superficial empathy. You know, thank, thank you for telling me that, I appreciate your honest feedback, but inside they don't agree. Inside they have no intention of going through the pain of facing consequences or trying to change. They just uh, developed a response technique of soothing you into oblivion. So sometimes people fight back immediately, sometimes people crumble, and sometimes people soothe. these are not good responses or i can listen in humble repentant openness and seek to learn without crumbling now where do people get the power to receive this kind of truth one place at the cross of jesus now we're talking about all this and it's way deeper than the reality of like psychological self-awareness this is truth before god in the the soul of an eternal being like the darkness we have to try to get to you know we have to try to get our arms around and our eyes open to is sin it's dark beyond our capacity to even understand or to bear you see the truth about me is that sin is a much worse problem in me than I know. The only place where I can receive the power to see the truth and bear it is at the cross of Jesus, because Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for me to buy back me from the darkness and deception. He died on a cross to forgive all of my sins, even the last 10%, yours too. There's an old song that I grew up singing when I was a kid in the Baptist church. It's called just as i am Uh, it's about coming to god just as i am and i was thinking about that this week what if we could be a just as i am church in just as i am relationships with each other like just as i am just honestly open to the truth about ourselves before each other today the question is who will you ask to tell you the truth about you Maybe it's the person who's closest to you. Maybe they've been looking forward to this opportunity for a long time and it's going to be a great day. This is the question for you and me. Are you willing to go to another human being and tell them, I want you to have an open door to tell me the truth about me. Are you willing to do that? And I know this is hard work. Aren't you excited about this series? I know it's hard. Now, this is between you and God. Talk to God about this. It's about learning and we'll make mistakes and we'll get messy. I mean, the disciples were so messy. The early church was so messy. They didn't get it right. Their raw humanity and pride and arrogance and uh, entitlement bled out all over the place. I mean, it leaked all over the place, but they were at least real about it so Jesus could get at it. When we can get at it, When we get real with him, man, like that's when transformation happens. That's when life change happens. And we want to be that kind of place. Not the kind of place where we all look like we have it all together and everyone looks healthy and mature. But we get to just be honest and say, I'm a mess. Like I would love to be disciple number one. (laughs) God, would you help me? The truth about us is we need the truth about us. Would you do me a favor and just bow your head and close your eyes if you can? I want to ask you to take a moment right now, as best as you can, just tell God, declare to God, decide right now. God, with your help, I want to be open to the truth about me. You know, the Bible is full of these statements where people ask God for this. You know, search me, oh God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. All right, let me pray for you. God, I pray that you would help us to find someone who can be this uh, indispensable mirror for us that will show us the truth about us and when we receive that from them, God, I pray that we would do it in a way that is just open and honest and repentant and, and uh, receptive. God, help us to um, to learn and to understand our lives and to see those blind spots the way that you see them. There's probably some areas of our lives where you really want us to be transformed. You want us to change. So help us to see that clearly the way that you see it. And God, would you help us to do the work that it's gonna take to change those areas of our lives. And that's gonna make us more uh, the people that you want us to be. We're gonna live better lives. We're gonna have more joy and more fulfillment and more meaning and purpose in this life as a result, God. Help us to get to that place. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, For directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, And We hope to see you on Sunday soon.